Hey, hey, welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. I am Daniela and we've got Jamie. We are your co-hosts and we don't have a specific topic for you at the moment. However, we are committed to showing up and exploring conversations uh, because we're always passionate about something. There's always yeah. something fired up about. <laughs> yeah, we, we just spoke for the last half an hour about what we should talk about. And we had <laughs> lots of really great conversations about things that we've encountered over the past couple of weeks. And um, of course, we we're like, do we talk about the legislative stuff? And we're like, no, because we'll be already like so far past whatever's going on right now by the time we publish it. But um, quick update, tomorrow's our super awesome hearing that we're really thrilled to have so we'll give you some more updates on that stuff as it all comes forth but we've got big campaigns out to help support our local midwives and we're super grateful um, to yeah. have <clears throat> what seems like more legislative support this year than in any years past so that's exciting and we talked about a little bit too people who want to be guests on our show. So we have some guests that will be coming soon. We have um, some stories, some birth stories to share um, with them. So of course, we really like folks to share their own stories as much as possible. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of being grateful for the support and guests, I want to take a moment to just really give a shout out and, and, and love and appreciation to all the guests we've had in our, what, year or two of adventures with this. We've been consistent for the year. I know we've been doing it for longer, but really we've had some awesome guests and, and lately we had some guests specifically to share about, you know, midwifery regulations in their estate. Um, and it's just really beautiful and, and, and powerful to have this network across uh, the world really because we've interviewed people even beyond just the U.S. Uh, of, of women who speak the same language that just get it the heart of this all of what really matters we spoke to a woman named Jane Kirby we didn't record anything with her because we were just talking with her as as fellow birth workers <laughs> as uh, birth attendants <clears throat> and uh and, you know, she was just referred to us by, by Margot Blackson, like, hey, this woman helped create the, or was involved with the people that created the laws in Minnesota. So she's got insights on how to do that and how, what worked there. And this woman was just willing to sit with us. She gave us like, I mean, it felt like a whole lecture of sharing the history. She, she gave us a history class pretty much. She was it was like, so beautiful and profound. And I really actually think that maybe we need to invite her and have her help teach others because the history of what happened in Minnesota is is no not really any different than all of these other states except for they have prevailed in preservation of traditional midwifery mm -hmm. um, perhaps by fluke perhaps by you know divine intervention but um, really such a wealth of knowledge and she is sharing it from from someone that she worked alongside for a long time who has now passed and so you know to continue to pass on these stories of triumph um, because storytelling is medicine oh indeed <laughs> I, mean, I know it invigorates my my fire and it helps me honor my truth because 
just hearing the woman's like, yeah, they stood firm in their belief too. And they didn't cower down and they just kept working towards what they knew they needed to focus on. And they didn't back down. It is inspiring, you know, and like, oh, and then they pulled it off. And, and the story has so many twists and turns and um. I'm and it wasn't just midwives it was the community really pulling together oh, yeah. and and that's something that in Hawaii we have seen the community really pull together but we've also you know it's it's 20 years later from when their legislation passed um that you know these agencies that we're up against are very very powerful and so powerful in fact that they don't even have to be accountable for their own problems which um, is also something that's kind of come into our view this week of, you know, the vice president speaking about the disparities in the United States that we all, you know, we've been sort of harping on this for a while that how dare ACOG and these other agencies feel like they have any jurisdiction over how we operate and what we do when really they just need to actually take a good look at themselves and, and work on their own issues as opposed to trying to to also navigate a field that they really don't understand. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and I may have said this a million times before on the podcast, because it's something I often say, because it's a, it's a major obvious point that just never makes sense to me is how could they try to put midwives under the scope of medical boards? Or there's often an obstetrician on the board that regulates midwives. And that never makes sense because why would you put a chiropractor to regulate uh, a surgeon <laughs> or a surgeon to regulate a chiropractor, whatever, they're different fields. They're irrelevant, even though they might both at the heart be dealing with bones, but that's too simplistic, right? It's, it's too different. They don't understand each other. They're different languages. They're different worlds and cultures. So, and then also the piece of well, right, look at their numbers, look at their statistics, look at how embarrassing the neonatal and, and maternal mortality and <clears throat> morbidity rates are in our country as a, quote, developed country. Um, and, and that it just keeps climbing. There's no accountability whatsoever, but they want to continue to, to, to tell other people how to operate. But if it wouldn't have gone up two times the rate in the past 20 years if there was accountability. So when they're screaming about our accountability, it's very difficult to sort of take it seriously when there is what seemingly very little accountability on that front. Everything is hidden by insurance and malpractice and all these like liability clauses, which right. makes no accountability from, from what the numbers are showing. I know the hospitals here do not publicly share their numbers and sometimes there's excuses like, oh, well, we just have different physicians and they work in different hospitals and, or blah, blah, I don't know, you know, but, but there's a way that they could figure something out or individual doctors putting out their numbers. That's also not a thing. So, right, that accountability piece that they try to <clears throat> make us, uh, make a standard for us, uh, it's not, it doesn't go both ways. Um, but, but yeah, to be um, under the, the eyes of the medical board is just laughable. It's like, no, why? <laughs> you guys aren't doing a great job. Why would and we possibly try to have you as like the overseers? 
Well, it's like this great meme or something that maybe you shared it of like going, going to McDonald's, but asking for like fettuccine Alfredo. And it's like, you can't go to McDonald's and get fettuccine Alfredo, but you also can't go to the high-end Italian restaurant and get some chicken nuggets, you know? So it's like two, they both are restaurants. They're both serving the population. They're both serving food even there's many overlaps but they are also still very 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 different in their ways and to just respect that and honor that as opposed to try to stifle one or the other right because they're that I think has always been the message of of the midwives who are looking for just to like practice in peace is that we're not trying to stifle or or you know take you down we just want to do our work and and it's really difficult to do if we're constantly just fighting to do the work <laughs> so yeah. let us just have our own restaurant and you can have yours and you can serve what you want and we will serve what we want and it's your menu is your menu yeah i was gonna go off on a rant about the different menus and maybe i still will but first i will preface it by by harping on what you're mentioning of just you know it's not about better or worse or this or that and and thank you for reminding me that because it is hard yeah you know I do try to be mindful of it I don't want to demonize the hospital or demonize um the medical paradigm um and it's hard but when you're not, speaking facts and truth it's hard for well, it not to sound like we're demonizing it to because right the reality like is that the numbers that, are the numbers <laughs> you well, can't argue with it and when you hear so many stories all the time back to back of this shitty thing that happened here and how i was disrespected over there and how they didn't give me informed consent so many times over and over and and you know you hear all the story it's hard not to get angry and hold that against them. Uh, and, and after being burned, you know, literally and metaphorically <laughs> um, as woman in the medical field, uh, yes, personally, but also just all of us um, and historically, it, it's hard not to feel like we wanna throw that fire back at them. You know, it's hard to make peace with the hospital system that has hurt us all so much. And yeah, they help so much too, but, but damn, but they, have they hurt so much too, come on. So, yes. so yeah, it is hard to, to speak kindly or just respectfully or neutral, <laughs> just neutral <laughs> about the hospital complex. Um, and, and it's really not just the hospital, it, it's the medical industrial complex. Um, it's insurance, it's who dictates who gets to do what. It's, it's all the things. It, the and, it's and, and it's what we are concerned about in regards to midwifery and the over-medicalization of midwifery and regulation and licensing laws that we see that has happened globally. I mean, it's it's happening. ICM is is the continued colonization of saying we know better than you, and you know the big push for midwives. But what? But all the midwives are the same. It's homogenized. It's you. You know, you're either a hospital midwife or you're a. You can have a medicalized home birth now with all the IVs and antibiotics and all the things. And it's not that that's wrong again, like if that's what you want, but that, that can't be the only option because not everyone wants that. And what ends up happening is it's like, well, maybe you don't want that, but the midwives who are allowed to serve in your community, 
their standards, their stipulations, they have to, if you don't, if you have GBS or if you have this, that, or the other, what if you don't want to even screen for it? What if that's just not in your like risk field? Because risk is different for everyone. But what ends up happening is now we're having this like globalization of skill sets and really disregarding the traditions and, and, you know, not to say that new medicine can't help old medicine, but it doesn't replace it. And that's what we're finding is that this, this, and it's not just in, in maternity care, as we have all seen in the past couple of years, it's, it's this over, overreach and over, um, authoritarianism of, of how we get to choose to live our lives. Well, people, people don't want to get a vitamin K shot. And next thing you know, there's like CPS banging on the door or a social worker or something well, like that. You know, I heard some interesting historical things from midwife Gail Hart about, let's see, it's the first thing I remember was about the, what was it? Not nitrazine, not the nitrazine paper, the stuff, the, the oxide, the silver nitrate, I think that's what they used to put in the baby's eyes before they realized it was more um, <clears throat> just also causing issues. But when they were using that, they required it in one state. Sorry, I'm like just remembering bits and pieces of this story, but they required the home birth midwives <clears throat> or any baby born at home to receive that on their eyes, but the midwives were not allowed to access it, or even if they did access it, they were not allowed to administer it. So through that rule, they very specifically created a way where the babies kind of, quote, had to come into the hospital system after they were born, right? So a way to, again, take the power away from the midwives <clears throat> and funnel the woman back into the system in some way or another. Um, there was- This still happens in California. You have to have a pediatrician if you're choosing a home birth and you have to see that pediatrician within a week of delivery. Because a midwife is not, uh, her scope does not include taking care of the newborn afterwards. It's like Not anymore. Like, <laughs> and, and it's heartbreaking. In some places, the scope of the midwife is literally only in pregnancy and up to like six weeks or whatever. She's not the person you, you go to for anything other than that, which is weird because to me in this journey, what's been very important is like, no, I want to honor the part of the midwife that she's always been that wise medicine woman in the community that has insights for menstruation and fertility and conception uh, and menopause and everything in between and beyond. So it just reflects the narrowing of the scope and the removal of power um, and options that happens. With well, that. and specialization, because it also was once that the midwife was also the death doula the death and doula. was the medicine woman and knew many things about health and wellness. And then the specialization of, of medicalized training, right? So you can't, you know, you have to get multiple degrees now in order to serve like uh, uh, the whole person otherwise you're practicing beyond your scope <laughs> and and that's 
And that's a liability point. You could get your license taken away if you're practicing beyond your scope. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some weird things that happen with the licensure and every state's different. And there are some states where the licensure laws are pretty open and don't sound so terrible. But in some places, they sound really freaking terrible. And we've talked about it before, but another one I've heard was in Arizona. There's a rule where the woman has to get a certain test. And I can't remember which test. I don't know if it's the 20-week anatomy scan or there's some there's some tests where it's not really like an opt-out kind of thing. It's not something where the woman can be like, oh, well, informed consent, and I'll sign the paper that says you should disclose all the risk, and I still don't want to do it. It's like, no, if the midwife doesn't have on file that the woman took this test, then he is not allowed to serve her. So it's like this terrible line of like, oh, there's no way to decline something, which is something we talk about with people when they're going to the hospital all the time. Like, hey, you can decline anything at any time, right? Because- And, and every now and again, you get a good nurse or a good physician that says that you don't have to do it, but I, you know, it is my- strong suggestion or it is whatever like I have to their credit had some really you know powerful conversations in those realms but they're few and far between because again they don't there's pressure from peers there's pressure from you know other administrators I mean policymakers who don't even aren't even on the ground doing the work you know <laughs> they're not the ones that have to say it so they can put it into place but then somebody else is the minion of doing that dirty work right and and I guess maybe I will circle back to the the stories I wanted to share earlier um just because I think it kind of highlights this art of midwifery where it's not just the formulas you know how wonderful maybe or boring would it be if life were as easy as just like hey this is a formula plug it in it works right like some people might really like that it'd be that straightforward and some people like to live life that way um hey and shit maybe it works for them it really doesn't work for me but we know in the maternity care system when you try to run people through formulas it doesn't work hence the statistics you shared uh so so what we are fighting for this autonomy of these various types of midwives to um, prevail in Hawaii. Um, it's about the art. So, so I'll, I'll share these two stories briefly. I won't get too into detail, um, but two preterm births um, that happened in different settings. And, and again, short to the point, uh, one was in the hospital setting and she had been told the woman like, hey, you know, if the baby's born before a certain gestation, we'll definitely take them over to the warmer right away, no matter what's going on, because that's just the protocol because the baby's preterm. Pre that's just what we do, right? So she, she knew that ahead of time and whatever, amongst all the stuff, we didn't really fight that. Um, but one thing that was important, like, okay, well, at least bring the baby to me skin to skin right away, and then we'll, we'll do that. Okay, so baby's born. And while the doctor is bringing this little 34-week baby onto mom's belly, this vigorous, very toned and, and sound-making baby, uh, a nurse slides a little heat pack between the baby and the mom. 
and he's there for like, I don't know, 10 seconds maybe before they cut and take him over to the warmer. Even though I as a skilled provider could see that this baby has tone, reflexes, they're blinking, they're moving, they're making little sounds, like they're clearly breathing and making efforts on their own. This isn't a limp, pale baby that isn't able to breathe, right? So it, it what stood out to me was like, wow, they never gave her or the baby a chance to figure it out together. Because there's no way in hell they could figure it out. They're, nope, if you're 34 weeks, that means that you are not able to figure things out on your own and you need to go to the warmer. That's the formula. So, and hey, I'm not saying that baby wouldn't have needed to go over to the warmer and all these other things afterwards. But the chance was not given to figure that out. She wanted skin to skin, yet, oh, there's no way that you as a mother is going to be able to warm up the baby. You need that heat pack under you, right? So there's that. And then the other story, real short, um, home birth in an Amish community. This is a story I heard a while ago. Um, Amish woman was just not going to go into the hospital. Went into labor 34 weeks, had her baby. The baby needed like a couple puffs of air to help inflate the lungs and then was fine. Now, I'm not saying that the woman who birthed in the hospital, that that's all she would have needed. I'm not trying to say that. They're different scenarios. But what I'm saying is, or trying to highlight, is the differences between just formula approach and the differences with just seeing what's going on and physiological. <laughs> well, physiological and, approach. And yeah. And, and yeah, of course, I have my biases and preferences. Um, but at the same time, I will respect that there will be people that will just choose the formula route and, and write on for you for knowing what you want and prefer. And that's fine. But you got to know that that's what you get in certain circumstances, right? Um, so here's one baby that got all the things and more. Maybe that baby would, maybe that baby needed it. But then we'll always have the question like, well, did they need it though? Would they have been able to figure it out on their own? Because, hey, here's another baby that pretty much the same gestation, like was they able to figure it out on their own? Like it's possible, it's possible, right? Um, so so, so I tried my best to share that story in a way without totally demonizing or, or the different paradigms of what's better, but that juxtapose does have a place to just kind of highlight, this is what we're fighting for. <laughs> and I'm not here saying, hey, go have 33 and 34 weeks baby at home. That wasn't the point of the story. Um, at all. <laughs> it was just the art of midwifery and the autonomy of individuals to choose whatever works for them, even though the books say, hey, 34 weeks babies don't usually tend to thrive on their own, but hey, here's one that did. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Well, and that, that whole thing of not being even given the opportunity. And we talk about these things in other realms too, of 40 two-week pregnancy, a 43-week pregnancy, you know, like nobody even knows how long they truly gestate anymore if they go past 41 and a half weeks, because 98% of the population is having, you know, a, a hospitalized um, experience and, and hospitals, it's, it's, a, it is, I would say it's impossible <laughs> to have a baby in a hospital without any intervention whatsoever. I mean, because even just the touching, the 
fear, all the stuff that comes along with that. I've had beautiful hospital births where women have refused everything and then whoops, the obstetrician just isn't in the room when the baby comes out because I'm not going to go chase them down the hall. They're going to rip her out of the bathtub and, you know, make her get on the bed or whatever as the baby's coming out instead of just holding space for the baby to come out. You know, like I've had very low intervention, but you go in and it's right away. It's just inundation of questions and it's all the, the rigmarole, you know, and it's like, well, the chart's right there. I, I think about this woman that years ago she had her baby at Kaiser and she was so funny because we went in and they start asking her all these questions. She said, did you read my birth plan? Did you read my birth plan? And they were like, yes, we did. She's like, then you would know the first thing on it that says, don't ask me anything. Talk to my husband or my doula. Why are you talking to me? Great, <laughs> yeah. right. that's a request and right off it was the, the first thing. It. Yeah. And she called him on it. She was like, I know you didn't read it because it's the very first thing on my birth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking, but, yeah, speaks yeah. of the doula world and oh, the poor doula world. Man. Well, uh, I'll just share something because I too kind of started phasing out of um, going into the hospital as a doula. Um, at least planning on, you know, but somebody asked me like, oh, well, why aren't you doing that anymore? And at the moment, I didn't, I had a hard time articulating it because it was, it, for someone who isn't a birth worker, there's like, it's too much to try to explain. So I couldn't quite figure out the right words. And, you know, that wouldn't take an hour to explain. But then I finally figured out the simple answer was just that I'm just tired of unnecessarily over-medicalized healthy normal births and I know there's I've seen some posts out there of some people being like oh all these doulas saying oh I don't go to the hospital anymore and, and that's just you and your white privilege and you and your well we're over here you know dealing with all the shit and and being with reality and you guys are just trying to run away from reality and I sat with that for a while like really am I just running from something that's hard and I don't want to deal with it while everyone else has to deal with it but I came, I boiled it down to a few things. One, I got to honor, like, that's just not my fight right now. Like I'm making room to honor the births at home. Cause there's not a lot of people doing that where there's plenty of midwife or doulas available to go into the hospital. There's no shortages of that at all. Uh, I mean, at least here. Um, and then the other thing is like, it's just not my fight. Like I love when we have certified nurse midwives that we can go into and like, and they get it and they're cool and they're helpful and respectful and all the things, right? Like we need the allies and the cool OBs. We need those allies, but like, I'm not called to be a certified nurse midwife. I'm not called to be an OB. That doesn't mean I'm against OBs or against CNMs because I don't want to be one or go into the hospitals one. Like, no, it's just not my life's journey. And that's fine. And it's fine that it's somebody else's life's journey to be that badass doula that goes in. We need them. We need them. We do. I'm not saying we but don't. Exactly. But it's also okay to recognize that you're not living in an alternate reality necessarily. You're just not choosing to perpetuate that. I mean, my sticking point that really started like feeling demoralizing on my end was that I, I either have to be really honest with these women or I have to lie to them. And I don't 
I can't lie. And the more and more you see, you can't unsee. And the more and more, you know, you, you live these experiences and then they're walking away being like, oh my gosh, I was saved. And you're like, well, you were only saved because you were put on the brink because of the reality that you're choosing to move forward in. Mm. Right. Like, so that became one of those things where I was like, I just can't, I can't sugarcoat something that is, or them walking away, really traumatized feeling like it's their fault or that, you know, they, what could they have done? What could they have done? And really it's like, it's not, it's, it's not your fault. <laughs> but then that's how the beliefs are perpetuated that, you know, woman can't do this or, or that birth doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, oh, my body's broken. That's where that narrative often comes from. And back to the McDonald's and Italian dining and whatever, just ordering food that isn't available where at the restaurant you're at, I would find myself talking to, you know, doula clients and you know, often I, we would have like kind of informal childbirth ed and, and I would explain kind of what, how labor goes. And then I would catch myself explaining how usually the head is born in one contraction and usually there's space and then you kind of wait for the next contraction and then the body's born. And I was like, no, no, that's not the paradigm. I mean, in undisturbed physiological birth, that is it, but like, that doesn't happen in the hospital unless you fight for it because as soon as that baby's crowning, there are practitioners' hands on that head to get it out. And as long as soon as the head's out, they're getting the body out. They're not waiting for shit. <laughs> they're well, and how many women, how many women don't even remember their placental birth, you know, because that's also like, oh yeah, I guess that happened. Because they're also like once the baby's out then they get disconnected, which is why when folks have hospital births and then are choosing home, I often will remind them, like, see it all the way through. You're also birthing your placenta, right? It's not gonna, and sometimes you're lucky and it does just fall out, but like typically, you know, you have to birth it. <laughs> it's part of it. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's, yeah. So. Yeah, it was, it was just too hard. Like, to explain that to people, I realized like, I, if you want that, if you know about physiological birth, like it, it's hard for it to be respected in the hospital. But most people, I don't know, it, it was just too hard. It's like people either know these things or they don't to some extent. So it just was like clashing, it was a cultural clash. It was speaking a different language of like, it's a different paradigm. Like I. It's not my culture. I don't know. So. And I think that that's okay because again, we're talking about diversity and we need strong, amazing doulas who believe in that, that are happy to be in those places and happy to like go in fighting. But like, as I age and as I like come into like every new year of being like, I just want to love, like, I don't, I mean, it's, it's important to fight for your beliefs and fight for what's like true and right and moral. But sometimes I felt like I was fighting harder than the people getting the services because they didn't really fully understand 
what they had to lose um, and maybe they never will. And that's okay. Like, it's okay if that's, I mean, this is my passion. This is my calling. This is what I have come to recognize is like, it brought me here. And so I don't have to change everyone's mind, but I can serve the ones who are looking for that as opposed to trying to like, I don't want to just fight all the time. I don't want, and who wants to, who wants to be fighting when your baby's being born, right? Like, don't you want to just be in love? Which I think is a lot of times why women end up giving up autonomy in hospitals and then feeling guilty about it because they don't want to fight. They just want to like, okay, I'm just going to surrender because it's too much stress to fight. And I just want to have this baby. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I have gone into births at the hospital um, without that edge of feeling like I needed to fight off things. And, but usually that was with people that were not interested in fighting back themselves, that they were going to do whatever was recommended and do all the things and get all the interventions. And they were fine with that. And so I was like, all right, fine. I don't need to fight for anything. I'm just there to like, literally love you, whisper you in your ear, all the kind things and encouragement. Um, not the advocate advocacy piece, like, cool, that's right on. Um, but most of the time that wasn't the case. Most of the time it was with the advocacy piece. And, and when you question, at least my experience, every time, even if it was just like a, a respectful question or like, oh, she's not sure she wants to do that. Like, should she have some time? Like, oh, just the constant scuffing. Like, oh, she wants to think about it. She's not just going to do it. <laughs> like, gosh, yeah, yeah. Again, if someone wants the intervention low birth, then why are you going to the hospital? So- just the question. Exactly. Just the exactly. Question. Yeah. So, and and to to recognize that, and and again, like, and then honor the space that you hold, because it is important. It is important, and in order for us to be filled up with that love, it's it, you know we have to also mitigate the battles that we choose to step forward in, so that way we can be fully present instead of working on like oh my gosh oh I saw that oh how does how does she recover from that mentally whatever it is right so because that is inherently so much of the the postpartum which again doulas really only do like one or two postpartum visits but like the whole mental piece after a baby's born whether it's physiological whether it's home whether it's hospital whether it was highly interventive there's so much that happens in a woman's mind after her birth yeah. and that some women, they have great births and then they don't want to share it because they don't want to hurt other people's feelings or they have scary births that they feel guilty about. And so they don't really want to speak it out loud because they feel like they failed or they did something. And if they say it out loud, then it like validates that. There's so much silence in either the joy or the trauma. And that's, you know, that's, and no one's really there for that because the medical model doesn't, they just dismiss that whole mental piece entirely. Healthy mom, healthy baby. It doesn't, doesn't really matter what your mental state is now. 
and and I'm I won't see you again until six weeks and and then you know we'll put an IUD in or I'll see you again at your next pregnancy for five minutes at a time um and and doulas are beautiful and wonderful and some of them offer more postpartum services but generally speaking when you hire a labor doula you know you get one or two visits afterward and um and that's wonderful to have somebody checking in but it's not necessarily um that holistic piece that you know so much happens in those weeks and months i mean postpartum i was just reading one of my you know mamas that i helped 7 months ago was talking about how she's still integrating the whole like experience and she had a beautiful joyful birth but she just the whole experience of like being a new mother and what that means and um and the choices that she has made through the pregnancy through the birth and then through this postpartum time i mean you're always postpartum once you've had a baby you're always going to be post delivery <laughs> and so um holding those spaces too so like to be able to show up in integrity and with love and not have to be constantly processing trauma or other people's trauma that really again like isn't their fault it's not their fault yeah. and and i honestly don't even feel like the hospitals or the doctors and things i do truly believe that they go into this work feeling like they're going to make this great difference and they want to help people and they really like that's the goal and then they sort of just get ironed out <laughs> yeah i guess i got a little tired of doing what felt like just damage control of like <laughs> of like they just kept going through the formula and coming out broken and not sure why right like you're saying of not fully seeing it as a result of the model of care as a and instead thinking oh it's because well that's just what happens when you have a baby and that's just what motherhood is about and that's what babies are about it's it's um and I, I can totally hear someone saying, oh, yeah, you're tired of dealing with it. So you can just step away from it while meanwhile, all these people have to go through it all the time. And uh, it's not that I'm trying to abandon people that need the help. It's just if if everyone knows that that's the reality, then women, I really do think, need to stand up too and stop putting themselves in that situation. Of course, I'm yeah, not it's a consumer driven or, yeah. you know, it's consumer driven. So if you don't want to like, then you, then everybody can step away. It's not that you're privileged and able to just step away. I mean, it's, and that everyone else is suffering is that we, we can take a stand and that's us doing this legislative move. Yeah. And it, it's, it's an, again, nourishing, which is and, a fight. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I'm nourishing another paradigm and I'm focusing my energy in this other work. I remember one time you said, it's like, oh, I just got to keep the arteries uh, clear for home birth, right? It's like, that's the focus. There's, if anything, there's, we know that there's a shortage of midwives everywhere, especially here. So it just makes more sense to just let ourselves focus on that. So we can be available for that. How many women have we worked with that were, they're like, oh, I've had all these hard, experiences before and now i'm ready for something different right yeah. and then they and then they do you know so 
All right. We've been at it for a while. Yeah, this is us taking a stand though. This is this is us, you know, like this is our this is our fight instead of you know, like this this preserving this small piece which is so quickly getting lost in all of the bureaucracy. You know, we have to hold on to tradition on some level, on some level. And again, it's not the old, the new doesn't replace the old. It just, you know, that there's, there's genuine benefit in all of it. And we have all these technologies, we have all these. So finding a better way to integrate it is also super important. And so again, like, we look at all this stuff and it's really an opportunity to, to make change as opposed to be downtrodden and beaten down by it. But if we don't talk about it and if we do self-censor and if we don't share these things, then we are ignoring the problem and, and, and it is a problem. So, so we, you know, are really trying to, to help preserve, conserve and shed light instead of, you know, just, continuing to put our head down and just work in a system that's just not, you know, serving the people that it says it's serving. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so many tangents I could go off on that, but I'm, I'm going to focus on just a final message of, I'm not sorry for anything I may have said that is just clearly pointing out the faults of certain models of care. But I will say, if there's anyone listening that does operate within those systems, I, I do have, um, you know, sympathy for that. And that my intention is not to just throw fire and burn bridges and make these extreme polarized uh, camps. You know, I, I really hope that we can get to a place of like, okay, there's these differences and let's improve the things that are going on that aren't working. And let's let's get on a team together because it's not about this provider or that provider at the end it's about the midwives i'm uh, sorry <laughs> ha it's about the woman giving birth and the babies this whole midwives bill like all oh, preserve traditional midwives it's not about the midwives it's about preserve the option for the woman you know so when you hear that again it's not the, the midwives the providers were nothing without the woman giving birth there's no point of preserving them if no, they're not wanted. And yeah. they are. <laughs> but they, they are. are. <laughs> so, yeah. It's not about us or them. It, it, it's the family, it's the woman, the babies. So, I hope that we can really get to a place of focusing on that. Like, hey, how can we increase the, the birth outcomes in all settings? In to be positive and period. loving. And yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. That's right come together in unity and stop being divisive and but also really looking at the problems we know there's problems with home birth too you know it's not but but it's really yeah it's hard when we when so much is done and um and so little is respected so yeah. um yeah so that's a good a good place to end for today and um, thank you all for tuning in. We realize we have such a following now. Holy guacamole. <laughs> oh, I know it's funny. We just have our casual chats and I checked the reviews or not the reviews, the, the count of downloads the other day. I was like, oh, well, that's gone up significantly. I mean, it's almost <laughs> at 4,000. And I was like, whoa, I don't know when that happened, 
<laughs> but thank you guys all for uh caring enough to keep listening and i'm i'm assuming that means this resonates that um this matters to you too um it makes sense and i hope it's inspiring you guys um in whatever ways you need it as providers or as birthing women yourselves so and and join us come have your outlet you know come come speak your truth and tell your story and know you have a whole community that loves you and is listening and supportive yeah all righty yep yeah. you can email us at women on fire podcast at gmail.com and we will be back next week with some legislative updates yes mahalo all righty <laughs> toodaloo